Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Wrestling from the Crowd. My name is Ray, and this is episode 5. Now, episode 5, it's going to be a little different to start because Raw was super terrible. I just wasn't a fan of it. So the way I'm going to talk about it today is I'm just going to go through the matches, and I'm only going to talk about the key storylines, the key points that happened on Raw. Other than that, you won't hear a play-by-play. You won't hear anything else besides who won the match who was fighting in the match and that's it unless it was a crucial storyline now i just want to take a second to say thank you to those who download the podcast so far we are on 220 downloads which is very impressive i didn't think i would make it this far this was just supposed to be a side project but now this is something that i look forward to doing every week as always you can follow me on twitter at wrestling from you can reach me on my facebook at ray Calazzo. uh people do message me sometimes people do critique my work People tell me what I need to fix, what should be different. And I listen to those things. So I take your your information and your opinions very seriously. So we're going to start this off with Raw. Raw opened up with Flair, Christian, Shawn Michaels, Big Show, Drew McIntyre. Everyone who helped Drew retain his championship at Clash of Champions. Now, I didn't see the need for all of them to come out, but they did. Then Randy Orton pops up the big screen. He says, Drew, this isn't over till he says it's over. So that means we're going to see another Randy Orton versus McIntyre match. Don't know how it's going to happen. It probably might happen at Hell in a Cell, but I think this is what this is leading to. We see Randy have his luggage, and then he walks out the door. So we think he goes home. Drew McIntyre then announced he'll have an open challenge for the WWE Championship. And then after that, we see all the legends in the back just playing poker. It's pointless. I don't understand what's the point of that. Why why do I need to care about the legends playing poker? You didn't have to show them playing poker at all. I I wasn't a big fan of that. I just don't think that that should have happened. I think that they should just went a whole different direction. You didn't even have to bring them back. You should have just focused it on Drew McIntyre and Orton. You put put the legends back in it who got their revenge, who helped Drew retain. They shouldn't have been in there. We've seen Zelina Vega versus Asuka. This this match wasn't wasn't that good. It was just pretty Pretty much the same thing as Clash of Champions. Zelina Vega just controlled the whole match, and then Asuka hits a flurry, and then she takes out the win. Andrade then calls Zelina Vega a weakling because he comes out right after for his match. And I-, I say to myself, she's a weakling, but she carried you guys and she helped you guys, and she's built you your whole career since NXT. So I think Andrade is the real weakling because he needed Zelina. I don't think Zelina ever needed him. I think Zelina is the one who kept him in the spotlight, and he just said he. He want nothing to do with her so so i guess now they're done for real so we won't have to see them again i'm glad now zelina can do her own thing but like i said this match is very quick oscar just puts an oscar lock and that's it i don't know why they did this rematch it th- their match at class of champions just spelled rematch i thought they should have gave zelina a little more shine they just pretty much put in the same match as clash of champions which was just an okay showing for zelina but oscar really wasn't that strong all she was doing was just mocking zelina and i think this match was pointless so with Andrade coming out. Andrade then says, I'm going to have an open challenge. And in that open challenge, Keith Lee answers that call. Now, this is probably something I hated the most. I don't believe that Andrade should be jobbing. I don't feel like he should be getting destroyed. Now, Keith Lee is an amazing competitor. I felt like they should have put on like an NXT TakeOver caliber match or something a little similar. Andrade in this match had no offense. He was just being dominated by Keith Lee the whole time. And that's a former United States champion. 
and an NXT champion who's put on high caliber matches. So this was very upsetting to see Andrade jobbing to Keith Lee. Then we seen a Hurt Business segment. We seen the Hurt Business bully a guy at a table. Bobby Lashley walks up to him. He says, you're in my seat. The guy moves over and he's like, you're still in my seat. And then the guy just rushes up and he's like, oh, you forgot my plate because the guy came back for his plate. So Bobby Lashley was like, this is my plate. And the guy just left. I, I, these segments to me are getting a little pointless. I, I get it. You're just making the Hurt Business look like bullies. If that's what you want to portray them as, that's what they want to portray them as. But I don't think that's what they should go for. Then we see another Best Digs segment with R-Truth. R-Truth is playing chess with Little Jimmy. Another pointless 24-7 championship segment. We see a ninja give a letter to R-Truth. R-Truth reads the letter. Tozawa's basically saying, oh, I was eaten by a shark. But, you know, you are a worthy opponent. So here, take what's in his briefcase. The ninja opens the briefcase. It's a black belt. Then we see Tozawa come out from under the table behind truth and roll up truth for the win now tozawa is the 24 7 champion but then we see the ninja hit tozawa with the briefcase to pin tozawa the ninja ended up being drew gulag so we're, we're back to this and then they announce a triple threat 24 7 championship match why i, I don't understand why but this is what they want to do and they want to continue to do another backstage segment seeing seth greeting buddy in the back he says it's a big night then asks his buddy why is he in his wrestling gear he doesn't have a match tonight he should go put on his suit so they can celebrate then we see buddy leave and Rollins sees that buddy left his phone and he shoves his phone right in his pocket so we'll see what that phone takes us to later after that we had king's court with jerry the king lawler he had the mysterio family on the show mysterio said that seth has destroyed his house and now he's trying to destroy his own house dominic says he's gonna end rollins when he sees him so we're still seeing this this segment go on i think that we've seen ray mysterio and seth rollins and Dominic for long enough. I don't really care for it. I don't really care for this angle at all. We've we seen that they mentioned Aaliyah. Now apparently Aaliyah is sending text messages to Buddy Murphy and they're going back and forth. I don't really care for this angle. This angle is pointless. This doesn't give Buddy his shine. It, it, it just throws Buddy in a, a corner and that's where he shouldn't be. That guy is phenomenal. He was a cruiserweight champion at one point because he was so hot. We've seen Rollins appear on the big screen. He said he has something serious. That's when he shows Buddy's phone and that's when they see the text messages so we actually get to see the text messages it was nothing crazy it was just saying you know if you need somebody to talk to you know i'm always open and Aaliyah just says i'll think about it you know uh, you know if i need you i'll i'll text you that, that's basically what it was it's nothing crazy but i feel like this angle is pointless i don't want to see another rollins versus mysterio or rollins versus dominic this feud should have been over with but we see Aaliyah walk to the back after saying that seth is the bad guy but he isn't you know you guys should give him a chance Murphy then confronts Seth in the back. He says, Rollins know nothing. And then we see him grab Rollins. And then I thought to myself, whoa, he's finally going to stand up to him. He's finally going to hit Seth Rollins. And as soon as I think that, I see Dominic Mysterio come out of nowhere. He tackles Buddy Murphy to the ground. They start brawling till it's broken up. And all you see is Seth Rollins just standing there maniacally laughing. So then the announcers announced that now we have a Buddy versus Dominic match tonight. I hope this story comes to an end soon. I'm sure these two are going to put on a good match tonight because they usually have good matches. I feel like they have good chemistry since the rivalry started. So this match is probably going to be a little better than people expect. Well, I, I think people expect it to be good because Buddy is good. Buddy makes other people look good and Dominic's been on a hot streak. So I I'll look forward to seeing this match. It's probably the only match I'm looking forward to. 
After that, we seen Lana and Natalia come out. They say they want Nia and Shayna stripped of the tag team championships. They say it's not fair that they get to stay champions after they didn't defend it at Clash of Champions. And I don't think that's how that works because of the way things are going now. So I, I believe that these girls, they just, like I said, they had nothing to do with them. And they're just going to keep throwing them out there to get beat up. After that, we see Adam Pearce come out. He says, you can earn a shot by defeating this brand new tag team. And I'm like, ooh, somebody different. You hear Mandy and I'm like, Jesus, Mandy? Like a tag team again? And then her tag team partner ended up being a debuting Dana Brooke. These are two girls from SmackDown. Like this is making the draft not even look possible. Why are you putting all these superstars to different shows? You just wait for the draft. You shouldn't be having Dana Brooke, who's normally on SmackDown, come over to Raw. Like, oh, she's debuting on Raw now. This is her home. Why not wait till the draft? Mandy should not be in a tag team. I'm going to say this a thousand times. Mandy should not be in a tag team. She had her time as a tag team. She had Fire and Desire with Sonya Deville. She should have went to Raw to have a singles run. You know how Asuka comes out every week saying no one's ready for Asuka? Well, Mandy Rhodes is ready for Asuka. There's no one else on the Raw women's division that I want to see fight for that title. And now you have Mandy Rhodes and the first thing you say is, you know what? I think you'll be great in a tag team. I think they're just going to ruin it. I think Mandy Rose is not going to be as big as she should be. They should be making her feud with Asuka. Asuka's done with Selena Vega. This shouldn't happen again. They gave it a try. It didn't work out. And they should move on to Mandy versus Asuka. Uh, the results of this match was Mandy and Dana picked up the win. This match was sloppy. It just wasn't, it wasn't that, it wasn't good at all. I'm not even going to say it wasn't that good. It just wasn't good at all. And it just didn't give Mandy any showcase to her skill. She, Lana botched her knee. She botched something else. I forgot what else she botched. But th they just need to stop with the Lana Natalia thing. That's just not working for me either. I think they're just a waste. They should be doing something else. Natalia has more, more than that than to just be going around with Lana. It's just not entertaining anymore. I don't, it, it was never entertaining. I'm not even going to say anymore. It wasn't entertaining. After that, we see Aleister Black cut a promo. He basically says, you know, you left me while you was at home with your family. I was fighting the Monday Night Messiah. I jumped in this fight to help you and I ended up losing my eye. He takes off his blindfold on his left eye and he ends up having like a black pupil. So now they're trying to make it seem like his eye is really damaged. Next, we see the match between Kevin Owens and Aleister Black. We've seen a new theme from Aleister Black. Apparently there was a copyright issue why they couldn't use the original track. Now they have a new one. I have to get used to it. I'm not going to say I don't like it. So over the weeks, I'm just going to have to give it a chance. But this match was one of the better matches on Raw. You know, this was one of the better matches they put on together since this feud started. And I don't know why they weren't putting on these type of matches like before. Two weeks ago, they were putting on crap. A week ago, they were putting on crap. But this week, they decided to actually showcase what they can do with this feud. And then we see the finish be Aleister Black. He hits the referee by accident. I think it was intentional, but they want to play it off as it was an accident towards him. So I guess they're probably going to play the, oh, he can't see out of that eye. So he inadvertently hit the referee due to the blindage of the eye. But we've seen Aleister Black get disqualified and Kevin Owens pick up the win. Next was a triple threat match that I'm not even going to talk about. But it was Tozawa versus R-True versus Drew Gulak for a 24-7 championship. R-True retained the title. He's now probably the 45th time 24-7 champion. Then we've seen Murphy versus Dominic. Now this was a good match. This was, like I said, probably one of the better matches. I was expecting it to be good. They were going back and forth. Then we've seen Aaliyah come out and she cost Dominic the match. She was a distraction for Dominic. Dominic got out the ring after he, you know, he was going to beat Murphy with the kendo stick. She came down to save Murphy.
Murphy. And he's like, go to the back. Like, dad was right. And then she smacks him. He goes back in the ring. Then Buddy rolls him up for the win. So we just seen Aaliyah cost her brother Dominic the match. I don't know how this is going to affect this story. I just hope this story doesn't continue. But we already know it is. So we're just going to have to live with it. But I feel like they're going to have Buddy turn on Seth eventually. Because either he likes Aaliyah and she wants him to be better. Or she'll make him better. So we'll just have to see where this goes. I know it's not going to be in a good direction. But it's it's nothing I can do. We just have to stick with it. After that, we've seen the Hurt Business versus Apollo Crews. Ricochet, Mustafa Ali. This match started all because Ali came out the locker room while the Hurt Business was in the hallway. And he accidentally bumped into them. He said he's sorry. And I think it was Bobby Lashley who shoved him. And then guess who comes to the rescue? It was Apollo and Ricochet, obviously. They're, they're, they're continuing this storyline with the Hurt Business and Apollo and Ricochet. I think it's just time we leave them alone and just stay away from this storyline. Let the Hurt Business do something else. They shouldn't continue to feud with Apollo and Ricochet. I think that's done. I think if you want to go another route, you could just have Cedric feud with Ricochet and that's it. You don't have to do anything else with the Hurt Business involving Apollo Crews. Apollo Crews already got his United States Championship opportunity twice. So I think he should be done and should focus on somebody else. They're probably moving towards Mustafa Ali because Mustafa Ali did have a strong showing in this match. He also did pick up the win over MVP. He didn't pin Bobby Lashley, but he pinned MVP. So he's obviously going to make that case. Like, yeah, I beat the, the voice of the Hurt Business. And so I guess they're going to go with Ali. But I hope this draft really, like, switches things up because Raw is getting a little too stale for me. So I pray that this draft, give, give some good people. Like, take some people from NXT. Take some people from SmackDown. Give them to Raw. Raw needs a new start because this ain't it. After this match, we've seen a Bianca Belair video package. She was racing four people and then she ended up beating all four of them and one by one they all gave up and she kept racing i i don't find this necessary like what are you waiting for we already seen bianca belair you're not repackaging her you're keeping her the exact same and i i think you're gonna do all this and then mess her up i feel like you should leave the video packages alone have her fight already because she was already doing that she was in a it, and she was in a tag match i think it was with the riot squad a couple weeks ago so what is the point of you repackaging her we know who bianca belair is we seen her wrestle on Raw, there's no need for it. This is what I'm saying. Instead of making new feuds, they're making video packages when she could be on Raw fighting for something or fighting against someone. If it wasn't Zelina, it should be Bianca Belair. And if it isn't Bianca Belair, it should be Mandy. And these video packages are, are just a waste. After that, it was the main event. It's Drew McIntyre's open challenge. And guess who returns? The glorious Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode has been off TV for a long time i think since covid started uh, maybe maybe not maybe a little maybe a little shorter than that but we finally see him on tv and these two gave a hell of a match the better match of the night bobby Roode hasn't lost a step i i think it's kind of annoying to see that he's still with ziggler but i guess that's what they're gonna keep him with for now ziggler didn't you know do anything but bobby Roode had a great showing he didn't miss a beat he didn't show no ring rust these two gave a really good match and i feel like if drew mcintyre can put on these matches with these guys because he's done it before they fought each other at a takeover and Drew McIntyre ended up being the winner. So these guys gave a, a, a performance that should been matched the whole night, but it wasn't. Uh, we seen Drew McIntyre end up taking the win. We obviously knew Drew McIntyre is not going to lose the title yet. Then we cut to the back 
where we see a janitor and I'm like why are they following this janitor and then I realized like hmm maybe it's Randy Orton and to my knowledge it is Randy Orton Randy Orton is going to where the legends are playing poker so he goes in he has a steel chair in his hand and the legends just look at him nobody reacts nobody says all right let's get up and do something they just got a blank stare on their face Randy Orton then puts these splinter cell night vision goggles on and he begins to whack all the legends now obviously he didn't whack them because you can hear him hitting the floor like the same time it has the same tempo and everything you telling me the big show couldn't get up and take like a chair shot and just beat him up or something but when the lights went back on all the legends were dispersed they were all beat up hit with the chair the room was a mess randy orton leaves the room and security's running by and he just points to the left and they still think he's a janitor and then he makes his escape and that's how raw ended fine if that's how you want to go but i don't think you should have randy orton just beating four legends with a chair to end raw i i just didn't like that it's just me like i said all these things are just my opinion if you don't like it if you loved it then you loved it if you didn't like it you didn't like it but everyone has their opinion on some of these segments this raw was just not my favorite raw there was a time where i just wanted to turn it off but in order to continue the tradition keep the the raw podcast you know aspect of it alive i had to stick it out and watch it so i decided to you know just dumb it down a little bit and not talk about every single match but the important ones the one that matters so i think i accomplished that maybe next week raw will be better because i believe the draft is i think coming up on the ninth so maybe raw will be a lot better after the draft but now we're gonna move on to nxt so nxt kicked off with shotzi blackheart versus dakota kai now we knew this match was gonna happen because shotzi eliminated dakota in the battle royale but this match was really really good this was probably another strong showing from the women's division of nxt we've seen a lot of good spots in this match we've seen a lot of counters a lot of pin attempts shotzi blackheart just gets impressive every time dakota kai is also impressive these two women are main eventers these two women one day will be the future of nxt they'll hold that title so in this match like i said we've seen good spots we've seen good counters but we've seen a dangerous spot on the apron where dakota kai german shotzi blackheart on the apron she lands on her head and you can tell she actually hurt herself because they took a little while to get up and the referee instantly ran over to her you know i knew she was okay but you could tell she was at least a little rock because she landed on her head they take it back to the ring we see gonzalez interfere and as soon as she interferes rhea ripley comes out and she evens things up now we knew that rhea ripley and raquel gonzalez were gonna feud eventually because of the battle royale i don't think they have any title plans for rhea ripley yet so they're putting her against like the big win of nxt it's good to see because some of these big women are really good and rhea ripley is one of those women and so is raquel raquel was really impressive in that battle royale but we see dakota kai get distracted by rhea ripley attacking raquel gonzalez and shotzi blackheart rolls her up for the win so we see shotzi pick up the win in another great match i think nxt is starting off correct i think this women's match is something to be followed i think that the rest of the show should follow this match because it was so good after that we've seen an isaiah swerve sky and santos escobar interview to keep it short we see an isaiah swerve sky say he's never got a fair opportunity either santos has brung out a mask or the legato de fantasma then santos says you know you're full of excuses you just could never deliver and you can't accept the fact that you can't deliver and then he says he's gonna give isaiah surf scott a fair fight swerve says nah, i don't believe you for one second and you know i'm looking forward to this match i think these two guys can put on a really good match and it's the first cruiserweight championship defense 
at TakeOver. So I think that this match is going to be elevated just because of TakeOver. And these are two guys who can give you a really good match. We know Isaiah Swerve Scott can put on a good match. And I'm pretty sure Santos Escobar can. I haven't really seen a lot of him. we only seen him in well, a couple one-on-one -on -one matches like with Drake Maverick. And we've seen him fight in that triple threat match with uh, the Legado de Fantasma, Tyler Breeze, and Swerve Scott. But I'm putting my money on it that this is going to be a really good match. After that, we've seen a little vignette of someone debuting at takeover i don't know who it is it, it, it was just green it was a biker i don't know who it could be I, I don't even have any speculations a lot of people are saying it might be bo dallas it might be um it, i don't think it's gonna be carrying cross i don't think it's gonna be scarlet i don't know who it is so i guess i'll just have to wait and see myself for those of you who do know or have an assumption let me know on twitter because i i don't know who it is after that we've seen a kyle o'reilly segment it just showed his journey to to get to where he is right now they even showed the picture of him and bobby fish at wrestle kingdom i don't know if they meant to do that but i guess that's the only thing they really have because they can't really show roh stuff but that that was pretty much just to build up the match between him and balor after that we learned that tegan knox tore her acl again now this is probably the most unfortunate news and my speed my, my speedy recovery and prayers go out to tegan knox because this is i think the third time she's tore her acl i, I pray that this is not the end of her career but people people end their careers for for different things like Corey Graves ended it because he kept getting concussions now will she end her career because she keeps tearing her ACL it would probably be best to to make sure she prolongs her walking you know what I'm saying that that really takes a toll on your legs and I I hope that it's a really successful surgery and she's able to come back but if she can't I won't be upset at it because she did give it her all and she was a phenomenal woman's wrestler and it sucks that she's plagued by injury. Then we seen Gargano and Candice LeRae get interviewed. They were told about Tegan Knox's injury. Now they're trying to portray it that Candice LeRae was the reason she tore ACL. And she was like, she had to do what she had to do. Johnny Gargano is clearly still mad about the TV because he says, that's what happens when you destroy my TV. They also stated that they're both going to walk out of NXT TakeOver as the power couple and have both championships. I don't know if that's going to happen. Who knows what might happen? It's really up in the air. I don't really see Damian Priest losing that championship championship yet. I don't know if Io Shirai will lose it either. Maybe Io Shirai would drop it to Candice LeRae and then move on to the main roster. Or Io Shirai beats Candice LeRae, then we see Candice LeRae on the main roster. So like I said, it's up in the air. After that, we've seen Cameron Grimes come out and he says he wants to prove something because he was robbed in the Gauntlet Eliminator. He says he's going to have some stepping stone to the moon match. And he, he brings out the first guy. I think his name was like Johnny Pistachio. And as soon as he gets in, Cameron Grimes hits the cave-in and then pins him and that was it i thought it was over and he's like nope i have someone else i'm gonna bring out a plethora of guys and i'm gonna show you i can beat all these guys so cameron grimes calls out his next guy and we see the guy fly in and i'm like okay maybe somebody good is coming out after him and it was rich holland rich holland had came out and i'm like okay rich holland is gonna give us a good match with cameron grimes i wasn't too mad at it but we seen rich holland get dq'd for stomping grimes until he was out cold and the referee counted to five so we didn't really get to see these two fight we just seen Cameron Grimes just take a beating from Ridge Holland after that we head to an Austin Theory segment where Austin claimed that he should have been in an NXT Eliminator gauntlet last week he also stated that it took Kyle O'Reilly 15 years just to get an NXT championship opportunity when Austin Theory already debuted at Wrestlemania at the age of 22 and he's not wrong it did take Kyle O'Reilly a while it and he did debut at Wrestlemania but that's because they need a replacement 
replacement and he was the only replacement they had. So I'm not taking the credit away from Theory. He had his moment and it did take Colorado to get some time because he is a tag team specialist with Bobby Fish or whether it be with Roddy. But now it's his time. After that, we see in a Kushida video package, he's just telling us that he will be stepping up his game and the dream will be his first stepping stone. So now Kushida's trying to portray himself as someone who's vicious, someone who doesn't care anymore. He doesn't want to be the good guy. He just wants to show you that he can do it. Then we see Kushida versus Tony Nese. Kushida attacked Tony Nese's arm the whole time. We've seen a little bit of offense from Tony Nese, but not a lot. It was more Kushida doing moves on the arm. We've seen Kushida tap Tony Nese out with the hoverboard lock. After the match, the dream appeared on the big screen. He says that he puts on the best performances at TakeOver. He says that when the, the light shines on Kushida, he won't know what to do in that spotlight. And I, and I believe it. Not that Kushida's not going to know what to do, but I feel like Dream at TakeOver is so good. TakeOvers with Dream have been fantastic. Between TakeOvers with him and Adam Cole, with him and Alistair, we've seen a lot of good TakeOver matches from Velveteen Dream. I don't remember a bad TakeOver match from uh, Velveteen Dream, excuse me. Next, we head to the backstage area. We see Cameron Grimes hurting, and he's calling out for William Regal. He's like, I don't want to speak to anybody with William Regal. Then we see him stop and look to his left, and it's Dexter Loomis. Dexter Loomis is back. He was injured, but now he's back. And I feel like now he's going to play a part in the Cameron Grimes beat-ups. You know how Rich Holland came out tonight. Maybe next week is going to be Dexter Loomis. I don't think he's going to continue his feud with the UE where he left off, which is okay. So now he's probably going to feud with uh, Cameron Grimes. After that, we had Adam Cole versus Austin Theory. Before the match, Cole stated that the UE hasn't changed, that it's the same. Just because the prophecy ended, it doesn't stop them from shocking the system. And he's not lying. Undisputed Era has done it all NXT. They'll go down as one of the greatest factions in NXT history. They debuted at TakeOver Brooklyn. They the first ever to win a War Games match. They added Roddy. They held all the titles. There's nothing more for them to prove. They, they've done everything they can to prove that they are the best at what they do. And in my opinion, they've proved that. After that, we've seen Adam Cole call out Austin Theory for his comments made about Kyle O'Reilly. This match started off pretty strong. Cole was in control at the start of the match. I think this match was just to prove that Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era still got it. And whoever disrespects them will feel the wrath of the UE. And that's what Austin Theory felt tonight. He had his little bit of offense, but Adam Cole was just in control the whole match. Adam Cole picked up the win via his Shining Wizard. And then after the match, he says Kyle O'Reilly was born ready and that nobody wants it more this Sunday. He says Kyle O'Reilly will shock the world. And I 100% agree with him. Kyle O'Reilly is going to show people who've never seen him wrestle one-on-one. -on -one. He's going to impress the hell out of everybody. And I'm going to say this now. If he doesn't become the NXT champion, he's still going to put on a hell of a show and it's going to be an NXT TakeOver match to remember. I guarantee you that. After that, we've seen Caden Carter versus Zia Lee. Both superstars go for a pin early. They were going for pin after pin after pin after pin and I was like okay I guess it's starting off the match is probably going to be a quick one usually when they start off with pins it's going to be a quick one there wasn't really anything flashy about this match I think this match was just story building up for Xia Lee because we know last week Xia Lee lost in that tag team match and she didn't want to show any sportsmanship at the end of the match so I think it's like a story I think they're going to now change Xia Lee's character into a more aggressive Io Shirai type of character we've seen Caden Carter pick up the win via roll up I think Xia Lee went for 
like a sunset bomb and she hit it and she went for the pin but Caden Carter like rolled it up in some weird type of way and that's how she got the win. After that Caden Carter tried to help her up and when Xia Li gets up she shoves Caden Carter so we're gonna see it heal Xia Li. It's, it's gonna happen. Next we see a face-to-face -face interview hosted by Shawn Michaels for Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly. Balor and Riley they both exchanged respects. They both said they've been watching each other for years. They follow each other's careers and that they truly respect each other. Even Sean was like, okay, like you guys are, don't hate each other, but you guys respect each other. This is different. And you know, Kyle O'Reilly says that he's watched his journey. When he was trying to fight Finn Balor, Finn Balor was just leaving Japan as Kyle O'Reilly was coming. And then when he came to America, they were on different brands. Sean also says that Kyle is the best kept secret, but Finn says he's not a secret. He has been the best all over the world. And he's right. And this, this was probably the most powerful line here. He's basically saying that Kyle O'Reilly is no secret. Yeah, he's a secret for those who don't know him, but for those who do know him, know that he's going to pull on a hell of a match. And for those of you who've never seen Kyle O'Reilly, you're going to be impressed. And if you want to warm yourself up, go watch his matches. Go watch all of his singles matches. Go watch his matches with Adam Cole. You know what I'm saying? Those are good matches. And we're going to be surprised. I know I said that already because we just talked about it, but this, this match is super hype. This match is being built to perfection and I like it. They also try to mention a power struggle in the UE. Like, what will happen if you were to win the NXT Championship? Would that make you better than Adam Cole? And he says, there's no power struggle in the UE. Like, last week, Cameron Grimes said that I was nothing like Adam Cole and he's right he's good looking and I will never be as good as him and this is Kyle O'Reilly's words Kyle O'Reilly just wants to carve out his own destiny he also says people think he's the underdog and that's bullshit it, it, it sucks that people think that he's the underdog I think this is a fair fight I think they're both even no matter who steps out of this match the winner I think it's going to be a phenomenal match now we move on to our main event the Garganos Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano versus Damian Priest and Io Shirai as as soon as Io Shirai and Damian Priest do their entrances, they do like a little scream at the top of the ramp, they take their titles off, and then they rush to the ring, and the match starts with just them fighting. Uh, I think it was a really good match. I thought that it was a good showcase, a good little buildup for both uh, pairings. I think that it was a good showing for Candice. I think she got to show what she can do. Uh, Gargano, he showed that he can show Damian Priest how he moves. He's going to probably stick and move at TakeOver. You know, he's probably going to try to use some underhanded tactics. We already know how Gargano is or his Gargano way. But we've seen uh, Io Shirai do uh, over the moonsault to Johnny Gargano who then tags in Damian Priest because she wasn't allowed to pin. She tried to pin but she wasn't allowed to. Uh, Damian Priest goes for the reckoning but Candice LeRae hits a low blow on him. Then Io Shirai chases Candice LeRae which gave Johnny Gargano the opportunity to hit the one final beat to pick up the win. So we've seen Gargano's win this match I expected them to win because it's you know it's a build-up and I feel like this Damian Priest Johnny Gargano match is flying under the radar and people don't think it's probably gonna be that good but it's probably gonna be really good we forget who Johnny Gargano is this is Mr. Takeover this is the guy who's main evented so many takeovers I think that he can elevate Damian career to have a super fantastic takeover match Damian Priest has showed he can have really good matches so I tell you to look forward to this don't let it fly under your radar put this match 
on the spectrum and see that this match would be a lot better. After we seen Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano reach for the titles and they held them and it showed significance. It showed maybe a premonition that maybe Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae will be the power couple, will be dual champions, husband and wife. I don't think they will, but NXT ended that way so you can have that image that maybe if they both want to take over, this is what we'll see. So NXT this week was pretty solid. I thought it was a really good build on TakeOver. NXT is usually really good when it comes to build-ups for TakeOver, so I thought that they made me more excited for TakeOver. I'm interested to see all matches. There's not a match that I'm really not interested in seeing. I think every match on the NXT card is going to be fantastic, and it's going to be one of the better pay-per-views of the year. I'm sure it'll be way better than Clash of Champions. Now, we move on to NXT UK. NXT UK starts off with the wild card triple threat match, so the winner of this match will face Trent Seven in round one because Trent Seven obviously drew the wild card and he will fight that person. It was Kenny Williams versus his tag partner Amir Jordan versus Ashton Smith. Kenny was surprised to see his partner was in the match. I guess they didn't know that they were both in the match, which made it more better. This pretty much became a two-on-one handicap match because of the simple fact they just kept working together. They barely fought. There was a couple times where they went head-to-head, but it wasn't anything crazy. It was just pretty much a stalemate. They tried to play like that because they were on the same team and they knew each other. We just seen a lot of pins and near falls towards the end. We seen Kenny Williams ends up picking up the win. We now will see him face off against Trent Seven in round one. I thought it was a really good match to start off NXT UK. I thought it was better than the start last week. So I'm glad to see that Kenny Williams is going to get his shine as a singles competitor instead of being a tag team with Amir Jordan. Hopefully he does good in the tournament. He's facing Trent Seven. Trent Seven has been the face of NXT UK for a long time. After that, we seen Zaya Brookside versus Ginny. Now, this wasn't my favorite match at all. I didn't think it was interesting. Ginny, to me, is not interesting. They talked about, you know, she's the Gucci. She wears Versace and all this other stuff. And her, her attire was just terrible. She doesn't have anything that flashes me. She just looks boring. But Brookside, on the other hand, we've seen her compete in the Mae Young Classic before. We know she can put on some good matches. We've seen her take a loss to Ginny, though. Ginny also mentions at the end of the match that she's been sitting in the background for too long. Now it's time for her to be the queen of UK. I don't think she'll be the queen of UK. I think she has to get a little bit more better. I think she has to prove herself and show out a little more. She doesn't really stand out to me. If she was in a, 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 another match, maybe if she fought at TakeOver, maybe she'll give you a good TakeOver match. But for now, she's not really appealing to me. Next, we move on to the main event, which was Noam Dar versus Alexander Wolf in the first round of the Heritage Cup. The announcers state that we haven't seen this style of match since Sid Scala and Cassius Ono, and that's true. We haven't seen a British style wrestling match since those two guys. We know that in tonight's match, Pete Dunne is a special guest referee. Round one started off very slow paced, and both men were real technical, so you could tell both men were feeling each other on the first round. So the first round ended in a draw. The second round, we see Noam Dar pick up the first fall. He got a roll up on Alexander Wolf in round three. We seen Wolf trying to pick up a quick fall. The last 10 seconds, both men tee off. Then when the round ends, Alexander Wolf lands a cheap shot on Noam Dar, so he wasn't able to get his 20 seconds. In round four, Alexander picks up the win in the first minute. So now it's all down to round five. Round five was a faster paced round, but Dunn cost Wolf the match unintentionally. He was trying to check on Wolf after Noam Dar, I think, inadvertently tried to kick Pete Dunn, but Pete Dunn ended up ducking under it and letting Alexander Wolf 
take the shot. That's when Dar is like, oh, okay, I'll take it. And he pins Wolf for the one, two, three. So we see Noam Dar advance in the tournament. After that, we see Wolf get up and he blames Pete Dunne for him losing the match. And as Pete Dunne tries to exit the ring, we see him pulling back in and Alexander Wolf tried to attack him, but Pete Dunne stopped it. Pete Dunne was beating on him for a while. Then we see Walter come down to the aid of Alexander Wolf. He stood on the apron and he distracted Pete Dunne so Alexander Wolf could hit him from behind. Then they both started to jump him and then we see Ilya Dragunov make the save. This is a match that's been teased forever. Walter versus Ilya Dragunov. We are still patiently waiting for that match. I think we're going to see a potential tag team match between Pete Dunne and Ilya Dragunov versus Imperium. Hopefully we do. I think that'll be a really good match. So NXT UK was really good um, besides the Zaya Brookside versus Ginny match. The tournament seems to be really good. I like the format of the tournament. It feels really unique and it feels different. I'm really interested to see what the other matches are going to be like. Like I said last week, I'm looking forward to A-Kid versus Flash Morgan Webster. That's my sleeper match of the tournament. I think that's probably going to be the best match of this tournament. So kudos to NXT UK. I hope to see next week of the continuation of the Heritage Cup tournament. Now we move on to AEW Dark. So AEW begins with Sean Spears coming out. Apparently he's joining the commentary team for just this match because Scorpio Sky's in it. We see Ray Rosa and Ryzen versus SCU. Again, who picks these tag teams? We'll never know. Spears on commentary says that him and Sky aren't done and he hope he's not running to the tag team division to get away from him. SCU was in control this whole match. There was like little offense from Ray Rosa and Ryzen. We see an SCU pick up the win and after SCU walks off and Scorpio Sky and Sean Spears make eye contact. So it looks like we're going to see a new rivalry between Sean Spears and Scorpio Sky, which is pretty interesting to see because both of these men are really good. We get a backstage promo from John Silver. He says he doesn't want to team with Colt Cabana, but Evil Uno says he sees potential in Colt like he's seen in Silver. And, you know, we see Colt over the weeks keeps trying to blend in with the Dark Order. He's trying to accept the Dark Order, and it's becoming a struggle for him. It's a battle. But I, I hope he accepts it soon. Even if he doesn't, I won't be mad. But he, he's okay in the Dark Order for now. I don't know what else they'll do with him if he's not in the Dark Order. Next on the card, we got Penelope Ford versus Alex Garcia. Now, this was a quick match. This was just something for Penelope Ford. Penelope Ford ended up picking up the win. She came out with Kip Sabian. You know, Kip Sabian, his crop tops. We always going to see Kip Sabian. But this was just a tune-up match. I think Penelope Ford needs better matches, not her. But I think if they give her really good opponents, I believe she can shine even brighter. She's a future champion in this company. I'm pretty sure of it. I have no doubts in my mind. Next, we see Best Friends versus Umbado and Bishop King. Now, this looks like they can actually be a tag team. We've seen Ricky Starks mention Umbadu's outfit again. He tells Excalibur he was right. It was the color of the Nigerian flag his outfit was based off of. We got to see a little bit of Umbadu. He never really gets to show what he's capable of, but I think against Trent, he was able to show just a little bit of power. He kept outmatching Trent in the power department, but that was pretty much all the offense that we've seen from him. We've seen a little bit of Bishop King, not too much. He wasn't really the focal point of the match. They kept like taking him out and it was mostly Mbadu. Um, we've seen best friends pick up the win. They they showed in this match why they're the number one tag team. You know, we've now been seeing a more serious best friends after the backstage brawl with Pride and Proud and Powerful, excuse me. And I like that the best friends, they're focused. They want these tag team titles. They want their first title reign in a major company. They've never held titles as a tag team. And I think it's time. I mean, they're number one for a reason. After that, we've seen a backstage promo by Brandon Cutler. 
him and Peter Avalon will have a rematch and someone will win. We know how that match has been ending. Double countouts, double DQs, double pins. Someone has to pick up the victory and Brandon Cutler is assuring us that sometime soon, one of them is going to be picking up the victory and changing that record. Next, we see Jurassic Express versus 5 and 10. It was a really good match. I really like 5 and 10 as a tag team, but we knew Jurassic Express coming into this match had a lot going on for them. They they were really even with 5 and 10, surprisingly, because Jungle Boy and 5s and 10 and Luchasaurus. But we've seen Jurassic Express pick up the win via Jurassic Express. I think Jurassic Express is either 2 or 3 in the tag team rankings. Soon, they'll win a title as well. They're, they're on that path. Best friends is. They'll be champions in the company soon. And and what I noticed about AEW Dark, they're starting to add promos like to build up the match on AEW Dark, which is different. It's just not bad. It allows them to also not only work on their wrestling skills, but also work on their promo skills. Like I said, AEW Dark is a developmental platform, and they should use that to their advantage. Next, we've seen The Gun Club versus Sean Dean and Caesar Bonnie. Uh, this was a really good showing for this team of Sean Dean and Caesar Bonnie. Bonnie was impressive, and he kept up with Billy Gunn. He was making sure Billy Gunn wasn't really a factor in this match. He even gave him a run for his money. He, I think he, they fought for like maybe like four minutes inside the ring, and it was all Bonnie. But we seen Gun Club pick up the win after Billy Gunn hits the Famouser on Sean Dean. Now I think this was a better match than a lot of people would have thought. I thought that Caesar Bonnie and Sean Dean were really impressive. More Caesar Bonnie. I think he's gonna like have a future in AEW. He'll probably be like one of the big men, like a Lance Archer, a Brian Cage, Luchasaurus, Wardlow, like those super heavyweight guys. Next was Tay Conti versus Red Velvet. Still no word of Tay Conti joining the Dark Order. I don't know if she's going to join. Every week just seems more questionable. Uh, this match was a really quick start. Tay Conti is really impressive. She's a really technical person. Uh, just because of her judo background and all the Muay Thai and everything that she's learning. So she she's, she's very impressive, especially when it comes to her submission game, which she won by. She won by a very unique submission. I don't know what it was called. I don't know how she did it, but I think she wrapped her leg around the arm or around the neck of her opponent and then just choked her out from there. It was really unique. I have to watch it again to see exactly what she did. Then Anna Jay comes in the ring. She helps up Red Velvet, then attacks her. Tay Conti looks at her like, why are you doing this? Then Brandy Rose makes the save. So again, we see Tay Conti like questioning it. Like, is this the right thing to do? Is it right to join the Dark Order? She just beat up some girl for no reason. So I guess she's having the same struggle Colt Cabana is having. But we're still going to see an Anna Jay versus Brandy Rhodes feud. That's still going. The next match on the card was Chaos Project versus Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. Chaos Project, they attacked Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman before the match even started. I think that lasted about two minutes. It was a really good showing. I think Serpentico as a tag wrestler is a lot better than his singles wrestler. And I haven't really seen much of Luther, but Luther was pretty good in this match. He, I just hate that he keeps sticking his tongue out like every 30 seconds. Uh, also, Brian Pillman Jr. was really good in this match. Griff Garrison did a lot better than he has done in the recent darks. He looked like he knew what he was doing more. He wasn't sloppy and I, I think he's doing a lot better. I, you can tell that he's working on it. But we've seen Chaos Project pick up the win. They're now 3-0 as a tag team. I don't remember the first two matches, but apparently they're 3-0. Next, we've seen Rache Chanel versus Nyla Rose. We see Rache Chanel, uh, I think two weeks ago on Dynamite. She had like the super mismatching outfit, but I said like she was the sleeper of that match. She did really good. In this match, 
match, she showcased a lot more. She hit Nyla with a, like a flying knee in the corner. She was going to do a Huracarana, but Nyla ended up catching her in the Beast Bomb. So I, I think that Roche Chanel was really good. They gave her a new attire because I guess they didn't want the Mitch match attire anymore. But she she's impressive and she can get a lot better if she works super hard. She could be a top contender in the females division. The main event of AEW Dark was Natural Nightmares versus John Silver and Colt Cabana. We seen earlier in the day that John Silver wasn't really comfortable teaming with Colt Cabana. But they ended up making it work. They were really good together. I didn't think they were going to be a really good tag team. John Silver, he, he gets impressive every time I see him. And I know I say that for a lot of people, but you could tell when people are working hard on their craft. And he's a better wrestler than most people think. He's not just a strong, stocky, funny dude. We've seen QT and Dustin Rhodes pick up the win. And I knew they were going to win. They're not really going to give everything to Dark Order. They're still trying to play off the storyline that Colt Cabana is struggling and he's trying to come in terms with the Dark Order. Now it's going to be interesting to see where QT and Dustin go from here. Do we see them fight FTR and FTR's 20 minute brush of greatness for the tag titles? But that concludes AW Dark. I mean what I liked about AW Dark this week was still the Tay Conti story and her in the Dark Order as well as Colt Cabana. I also like the fact that there's going to be a new feud between Scorpio Sky and Sean Spears. I think that could be a really good feud. Now we're going to move on to AW Dynamite. AW Dynamite kicked off with Ricky Starks versus Darby Allen. This feud has been going on for weeks and these two are finally going to fight. It was a super quick start. Darby Allen showed off a bunch of new moves and submissions. I think during his time away he was doing something. He was either practicing more or he was watching more tape. We seen Brian Cage come out to interrupt the match but Will Hobbs ended up coming to take away a distraction by attacking Brian Cage. So it looks like we're getting the battle of the super heavyweights. We all know Will Hobbs was really good on AW Dark and John Moxley brought him up to be a part of his team but that match didn't happen because Lance Archer had COVID-19 symptoms or was in contact with someone who had them. Darby Allen, who was still distracted by Brian Cage allowed Ricky Starks to take control of the match. Then they had a fantastic sequence and the counters. Ricky Starks hit a spear in midair after Darby Allen hit his float over stunner. So when Darby Allen hit his float over stunner, he ran to the ropes and he was about to do like an Oz cutter and he just turned around into a spear. I thought these two gave a really fantastic match. Then they ended up going to the top rope. Ricky Starks was going to hit a Rochambeau on Darby Allen from the top rope, but Darby ended up countering. He hits his head on the turnbuckle. Ricky Starks then drops to receive a coffin drop by Darby Allen. Darby Allen picks up the win in this rivalry. I think these two really put it out there. These two really made this rivalry worth it. They did an excellent job. They played the story perfectly. They built it up phenomenally, and I thought this was fantastic. It's also good to mention that these two drew a million plus viewers in the 18 through 50 category. So I think that's really good for them. It shows that people are interested in their work and Ricky Starks and Darby Allen, if they did it again, I wouldn't be mad at it. Next, we've seen an in-ring promo from Cody Rhodes. He says that superstars shake hands, not because it's a sign of respect, but it's that they need each other. And a lot of the superstars start to clap because I guess it's true. I guess, you know, you not only shake hands because of respect, you shake hands because you need each other. Without each other, you're not on that marquee, Cody says. So that's pretty true. Without without the other guy, you're you're not relevant and the rivalry or story you're doing isn't important. He says the top three wrestlers in AEW is Hikaru Shida, John Moxley, and Brody Lee. Obviously, those are the three champions of AEW. Then they ask him, will you accept Brody Lee's dog collar match? 
match. He says no and then walks out the ring. So we're all sitting here thinking like, dang, he really just said no. He's not going to take the match. Then he goes back to the ring and says no. No means no regrets and accepts the match. Then Brody Lee just comes rushing to the ring and him and Cody just start to brawl. Now that's what I like about Brody's character. He's not one of those who's going to sit at the ramp and cut a promo and talk and then make it seem like he's going to do something. No. This guy he came out in his suit and fought Cody Rhodes in a brawl. Then as they're brawling, we see Brandy Rhodes come out and she does a flip on the Dark Order. Then we see Anna Jay attack Brandy Rhodes from behind and they start to brawl. So husband and wife versus king and queen. Even Nyla got involved. She started to attack Kaylee King. I don't know why. I think Kaylee King backed up into the, the pole that she was standing at. I mean the barricade. And But she just started attacking her out of nowhere. Then Brody kept coming back. I think he came to the ring like three times to continue this brawl while Brandy Rose and Anna Jay were still being held back. I thought this was a really good segment. It shows that this is a fight. Like this is personal. It felt real. These two were fighting for like six whole minutes and I loved every second of it. Then we had a Tony Schiavone interview. He interviewed FTR. He asked his FTR about best friends and was it fair that they was going to give him a 20 minute brush of greatness match but ended up just giving, you know, giving nothing to them. FTR says best friends are just backyards wrestlers. They aren't on their level and don't deserve any opportunities then tony asks about the young bucks how does the young bucks deserve a chance and ftr says every chance they've gotten they blown so why does they deserve a chance they lost to the first round in private party they lost in the gauntlet they lost against the tag team champions at the time that was kenny omega and hangman page they've had their chances and ftr is right they had their chances and they're they're going to get it eventually because now they're on the warpath and people are liking heel bucks so they're, they're gonna get it eventually next thing you know we see a leg fly at the camera and hit tony shivani matt jackson then stands there like hey guys how, how you doing and we're like this guy just super kicked tony shivani he's mad nonchalant about it and ftr is just like why don't you hit us why do you have to hit him why don't you hit us so again another person super kicked by the young bucks well just matt jackson and i'm sure they're gonna receive another fine scu makes their entrance to the ring but before they do sean spears is standing at the entranceway and him and sky just lock eyes so they're still building up upon this rivalry they have not fought yet but it's interesting to see where it's gonna go now we see ftr versus scu this is scu's 20 minute brush of greatness for the tag team championships we also seen hangman page on commentary i'm glad they got to show his graphic i didn't think they were going to but this week graphic says very unprepared i don't know if they meant his attire or what he was wearing at the commentary booth he had whiskey as always you know he's the drunk millennial cowboy we seen dash get christopher daniels thrown out because he faked the trip and says that daniels tripped him now when i seen this little spot i was like how did he trip and then i realized that he didn't trip at all he forced himself to fall just to get daniels ejected from the match which he was both teams were even at the start of it and no one was fully able to take control until kaz got the hot tag to turn the title of the match scu stayed in control you know with eight minutes left in the match uh like i said it's 20 minutes so 10 minutes goes by very fast we see kaz knock down sky by accident off the apron and ftr pick up the near fall i thought that was gonna cost them you know but it didn't i thought scorpio sky was gonna get mad but he didn't then we see kaz counter a doomsday device in mid-air with the power slam then he makes the tag to scorpio sky scorpio sky heard that there was five minutes remaining so he tried so many pin attempts then we see tully blanchard get involved scorpio sky is gonna attempt the power slam on dax but tully 
Tully Blanchard ends up tripping Scorpio and holding his foot while Dax got the pin. And FTR retains their tag team championships. We knew it wasn't going to be clean. We knew Tully was going to get involved in some way. And he did. So I don't know what happens next for SCU. But I think now Scorpio Sky focuses on his singles career. Then Excalibur announces that there will be an 8-man tournament. And the winner of that tournament will fight whoever is the AEW world champion at full gear. He also announced three of the competitors. It's Jungle Boy, Ray Phoenix, and Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega said it time and time again. He's ready to start his singles run in AEW. And this is the time to do it. But Hangman Page was still on commentary. And he heard that. And as soon as he heard Omega was in this tournament, he got up and he left. I'm sure now he's upset because now he really knows that Omega doesn't want to be a team anymore. The next match was Isaiah Cassidy versus Chris Jericho. Announced for next week. 30 years of Jericho announced. 30 years since Chris Jericho has been wrestling. I remember watching him as a kid and it's been 30 years for him. So congrats to him on making it 30 years in his business. We've seen Chris Jericho start off by mushing Isaiah Cassidy in the face. He just kept mushing him and mushing him and mushing him. And the announcer's like, is he really going to let him do this? As soon as Chris Jericho turned his back, Isaiah Cassidy then quickly attacks. The battle spills to the outside. Isaiah Cassidy then launches Chris Jericho into the crowd where he almost falls on Luther. When he gets up, he pushes Luther and Luther just attacks him. I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought that Luther was just going to take it, but he ended up hitting him. There was no disqualification that if I may mention that should have been disqualification, but it wasn't. We seen Jericho take control through the JR quoted statement, restaurant quality, picture in picture. But as soon as we came back from picture in picture, Isaiah Cassidy took control. Now he had control for like a couple, couple minutes, like maybe two, three minutes. He even used two of Chris Jericho's moves. He used the lion salt and the code breaker to get near falls. So imagine if he would have won his match with Chris Jericho using his own moves. Isaiah Cassidy then gets hit by Jake Hager, which caused Jericho to take control just for a little bit. Isaiah Cassidy then gains control again. He goes for a springboard on the outside and ends up getting caught with the Judas effect and Jericho picks up the win. After that, the inner circle then goes in the ring and attacks Isaiah, but Hardy and Mark Quinn, who is standing out there, fend the inner circle off. Now, this is where it became funny. The inner circle were leaving and I'm like, where's Jericho and Hager? The camera pans to the left and they're fighting Chaos Project. So they didn't they didn't go straight to the ramp. They went to go fight. Jericho was pissed. Hager was pissed because somehow he got cut on the nose. So I'm sure he was pissed. And next week they announced that it's going to be Chaos Project versus Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. So that should be pretty interesting. A backstage segment, Best Friends and FTR. Dasha speaks to Best Friends. She asks them about FTR's actions last week. By their actions, she meant how they felt when they were going to get their 20 minutes with FTR for the tag team championships, but they turned them down. They basically respond by saying they know how FTR was. They're not ready for them. That's why they keep running. Then we see FTR interrupt. They say the same thing they said in the ring. Your backyard wrestlers, no one respects you. You will never hold these titles. I thought that was going to be the start to a brawl because best friends then threw fake punches. FTR flinched and then Isaiah Cassidy comes to the front of them and he says weenies. So I guess that's best friends thing calling FTR a bunch of weenies. Next we've seen Orange Cassidy versus 10. 10 takes off Orange Cassidy's glasses and puts them on John Silver. Like I said, John Silver is a comedic act, but he's also a really good wrestler. We've seen 10 in control out of the match. He was also mocking Orange Cassidy. I've never really seen that side of Preston Vance, who is 10, but he was doing a lot of mocking. We also seen the Dark Order 
mocking the best friend's signature hug. They even had the camera and everything. It was Fives and John Silver on one side and Preston Vance in the middle holding up two thumbs. They did the hug and the camera panned out. So they did exactly how best friend does it. They were mocking them and then you see Orange Cassidy fly onto the Dark Order. He throws 10 back in the ring. He hits a crossbody, but 10 catches him. So he technically doesn't hit it, but 10 catches him. He reverses it into his little stunner and does the air raid crash to pick up the win over 10. So even though we've seen Orange Cassidy lose to Brody Lee, we see him still pick up the victory. He's still on his winning ways. Again, he did last longer than Cody in that TNT Championship match. So I give it to him. Next, we have a backstage segment with MJF in the inner circle. MJF goes to Chris Jericho. He's looking to bear gifts. He brings gifts for the whole inner circle. And these were really nice jackets. I thought they were shirts because he was like, I have them specifically for everybody. And I'm like, they all look the same. Apparently, they have the names inside. As he gives the jackets to Santana, Ortiz, Hager, Jericho, we noticed that Sami Zayn didn't get a jacket. So is this foreshadowing on maybe Sammy Guevara is going to leave the inner circle and maybe have MJF come aboard? I don't really know. But Jericho then says, Max, what do you want? Like, what are you doing here? MJF says, you know what I want. Jericho says, I'll ask you, do you want to join the inner circle? MJF then responds with, do you want me in the inner circle? And then they keep going back and forth and back and forth. Then they start blowing smoke up each other's ass again. They keep calling each other the good the best, great, and all that. And MJF finally leaves. And as MJF left, Sammy Guevara was like, MJF is such a loser. But then Chris Jericho says, no, maybe he's not a loser. So could we possibly see MJF and Wardlow in the inner circle? That would be like a superstar studded group. So if they, if it happens, then it might be a good thing. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. But that's what they're going with now. They're teasing it. Next, we see the return of Britt Baker DMD. She she is going against Red Velvet. We all know Red Velvet. She fights on Dark and this is the first time I think she's on the main show. So it's good for her. We've seen Red Velvet have some offense in this match, but we knew it was Britt Baker. Britt Baker was doing a lot of technical stuff. I think she's been working on her ground game and her submissions. We've seen Britt Baker pick up the win and then after the match, she puts the log jaw on Red Velvet. She put a glove on first because, you know, COVID-19. We don't want that. Next was the main event. It was John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston mysterious opponent. Eddie Kingston comes out to announce John Moxley's opponent, but then he has the ref with him from last week's match. Eddie asks the ref, why'd he call the match when he didn't tap out? The ref says, you were knocked out. It was my job to protect you from yourself. And mind you, Eddie Kingston and this referee, they're good friends. The ref was like, you know, you know my family, you know my wife, my kids, you know, I wouldn't do anything to let it hurt you. Eddie Kingston then signals for an attack. Ray Phoenix and Penta, El Cero Miedo surround the ref. Then John Moxley music plays. He comes out with a barbed wire bat. They run. Kingston then distracts Mox. We see the butcher creep up behind John Moxley. John Moxley then turns around after he hears the bell and he sees the butcher. The butcher then attacks him quickly. Now the butcher was in control this whole match. Even through picture in picture, butcher was in control. I think they want to showcase that butcher is a really good singles wrestler. He is a good singles wrestler for a big man and he's really impressive. I'm glad that they're giving other people time to shine and he deserves his time to shine. We've seen Mox playing off a left leg injury. It wouldn't allow him to take control. We just kept seeing Butcher have a counter for everything. Even when John tried to attempt like an Irish whip, he wasn't able to because of that leg. But somehow, some way, John Moxley hits a paradigm shift, then taps the Butcher out.
out with the bulldog choke. So now we see John Moxley is now using a submission finish besides that paradigm shift. Are they trying to transition his paradigm shift as a signature move? Then the bulldog choke will be a finisher. I'm not sure. They're probably trying to say that he doesn't really need that because we all remember the MJF thing where, yo, you can't beat me with the paradigm shift. And then again, he did. He couldn't beat him without the paradigm shift. He did use it and he did keep the championship. So I guess they're giving John something new, something more vicious. John is a very different fighter than most of the guys on AEW. So I guess they want to implement something more dangerous than the paradigm shift. But AEW Dynamite tonight was really good. I think this was probably one of the better Dynamites they've had in a while. I think the feud with Cody and Brody Lee is going to be fantastic. I think that Anna Jay and Brandy can give you something really exciting if you let them. Uh, we're also going to see Archer come back soon in 12 days. I think it's 12 days from now. Maybe 11 from this podcast. No, when this podcast drops, it'll be 10 days. They'll fight on the 14th at the anniversary show. Next week, also on AEW Dynamite, will be Will Hobbs and Brian Cage for the FTW Championship. So I'm trying to figure out, are they going to make it a legitimate championship? I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen with that title? But I'm glad to see that Will Hobbs is getting some shine. I think him and Brian Cage is going to pull on a hell of a show. But like I said, AEW Dynamite this week was really good. Like I said, one of the better ones. I hope to see where most of these storylines go. I hope to see next week's show because next week's show looks like it has a very stacked card. Now we're going to move on to the final show and that is SmackDown Live. Now SmackDown Live opened up with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. Heyman tells Roman Reigns, he's the tribal chief. You beat Jey Uso. You're the tribal chief. Then Roman says, no, you don't need to call me that. He needs to call me that. I'm not the tribal chief because he didn't call me the tribal chief. Then he says, you know what? I need to speak to my cousin face to face. So he calls out Jay Uso. And let me tell you, Jay Uso took his time coming out. I don't know if they did that on purpose or he just really took his time coming out. Roman then tells Jay Uso he was trying to help Jay. He was trying to make him better. Jay says, you may have whooped my ass, but you didn't break my spirit. And Roman Reigns is in his face and he's like, you want a rematch? You want me a hell in a cell? Well, I'll give you the rematch. I'll give you me a hell in a cell. And then hugs him and leaves. And then he also stated, because Corey Graves mentioned it, that at Hell in a Cell, there'll be some real consequences. And we're trying to figure out what that means if he doesn't call him the tribal chief. Will he hurt him? Will they go to the top of the cell if it is a Hell in a Cell match? Will he throw him off? Will that be it? Like a Lion King moment, you know? There's a lot that could happen. He could even involve Jimmy. He'll probably, like, put Jimmy up top. He'll, he'll do something to threaten him. I feel like these consequences are for Jay to be like, hey, you know what? You're the tribal chief Oos and I respect it and I have to live with that. As Roman Reigns walks up the ramp, Jay Uso grabs the mic and he says, I accept. And then he gets excited. Then AJ Styles comes out. I'm like, why is AJ Styles coming out? He says, Jay really matters to him. He doesn't want to see him take another beating. He should just give that opportunity to somebody who truly deserves it. And by that, he means himself, obviously. Then he says his brother is better than him, which causes Jay to attack AJ, which now leads to an improv two match of Jay Uso versus AJ Styles. AJ Styles was in control most of the match. He even suplexed Jay Uso to the outside on an announce table. Jay Uso then gets some momentum. He hits him with like a couple super kicks. He even super kicks him on the outside. I think that's what caused him to bring AJ Styles back in the ring. He super kicks him like three more times, goes to the top and hits an Uso splash. We see Jay Uso pick up a victory over AJ Styles. That was really surprising to me. That just shows me like they're giving Jay a really good build.
buildup. He just beat a former world champion. This guy has been in the company for maybe four, four or five years, and he's held most of all major titles. So the fact that they let Jay Uso beat AJ Styles gives big props to Jay. There was a backstage segment. Sami Zayn says, I bet you all expected him to gloat, which we all did. He says, I don't know why we were even fighting for irrelevant titles. Hardy's title wasn't relevant. AJ Styles' title was irrelevant. None of those guys were the real champion. He was the real champion the whole time. Then he throw Jeff's intercontinental title in the garbage, the one that Jeff wore, who claimed was the real one. But apparently Sammy had the real one the whole time. So he throws Jeff's in the garbage to show that he was the real champ. Next, we've seen John Morrison versus Otis. And I'm not even going to like discuss this match because there was no match. It was a squash match. They had John Morrison go out there and job to Otis. And I hated every second of it. And like I said, people know I do not like the Otis, John Morrison, and Miz storyline. Next, we've seen Sheamus versus Shorty G. They're making it super easy for me tonight. It was a squash match. Before the match even started, Biggie challenged uh, Sheamus to a false count anywhere match. Apparently, he said, you know, since you want to attack me, since you want to destroy things, we could fight in the crowd. We could fight in the backstage. We could fight in the park. It doesn't matter. So next week, I'm sure we'll see Sheamus versus Biggie in a street fight or maybe a false count anywhere. Now we move on to the KO show. KO show is on SmackDown because of the brand to brand invitational. They mentioned that like a hundred times so people could stop thinking that he got drafted to SmackDown. Before KO goes to the ring, we see him in the back looking at his cue cards. There's a TV behind him and as soon as Kevin Owens walks away, The Fiend pops up. Tonight's special guest on the KO show was Alexa Bliss. We all know Alexa Bliss has been going through the changes from The Fiend. So hopefully we get some answer from Kevin. He then asks Alexa Bliss, what changed in you? And then she says, I don't know what you mean. People change, Kevin. And Kevin's like, I know. I want to change. I've tried to show people that I can change. And then Kevin Owens, for some reason, kept mentioning Aleister Black. I guess he's trying to figure out a way to turn Aleister Black back to his friend or back to good. He feels like Alexa Bliss and Aleister Black are going through the same thing. But Aleister Black without The Fiend. Alexa was so good at playing a possessed like character. She did such a phenomenal job. She had like this weird smile on her face. She gave me horror movie vibes. So I think she's doing really well as a person who's possessed by the fiend. Kevin Owens then says she's brainwashed. And Alexa says, you know what? I am brainwashed. But let me tell you, the fiend is always watching. When I see him through my eyes, it's like I'm looking through you and I can just see him. Owen then asks, is he here now? Alexa says he's everywhere. And then she says, let him in. The fiend music plays and the lights go back on and we see him putting the mandible claw on Kevin Owens. When he's done attacking Kevin Owens, the fiend offers his hand to Alexa Bliss and she takes it. So now is Alexa Bliss fully Sister Abigail? Can her and the fiend become one and take over SmackDown or if they get drafted to Raw, take over Raw? I really love this storyline and where it's going. This is the second best storyline on SmackDown and I really hope it goes in a good direction. After that, we've seen Baron Corbin, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Cesaro versus Lucha House Party and Matt Riddle. Before the match started, they showed like Lucha House Party talking to Matt Riddle. Uh, Matt Riddle asked, where was Kalisto? And Lince Dorado said, oh, he's probably in the back trying to put on the shirt over that big head of his. So we still see that there's cracks in the Lucha House Party. Kalisto then comes out mid-match and he says, you guys forgot me. And it ended up being that Kalisto was the downfall to this team because he tried to hit 
Cesaro, but Cesaro pushed Lince Dorado into Kalisto's kick. Then Riddle then hits a distracted Cesaro with his finisher to pick up the win. So Lucha House Party cracks. I don't know why they're still going. I don't know why they're still playing with this team. They need to just break them up because Lince Dorado came in the ring and they wanted to fight, but Matt Riddle and Grand Metalik broke that up. Riddle, I don't know what direction they're going to go on with him. He beat Baron Corbin in the tag team match, not one-on-one. Will they make him fight Sami Zayn for an Intercontinental Championship? Maybe somewhere down the line. Now, this week, they show our mystery woman, and guess who our mystery woman was? Like we've been saying, it was Carmella. And for some reason, Carmella's been getting a lot of backlash on this look on Twitter. I don't know why. I think she looks phenomenal. She says she's not the Queen of Staten Island or the Princess anymore. Now, she's Carmella. So, can we see Carmella be your women's champion again? Can we see her be more successful than she was after she lost that title? Sasha Banks then cuts an in-ring promo. She says there's no one to save Bailey. She doesn't have a chance. She says that what Bailey did to her hurt her, but it showed her what she needed to do. She needs to destroy the one person who kept her back. She also says she's going to take what's most important to Bailey, and that's that SmackDown Women's Championship. And after she says that, she rips off the neck brace and she stands there looking fierce. So we're going to get Sasha versus Bailey for that championship much earlier than people thought. I don't know what's going to happen to Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross did earn her title shot fair and square. So whenever she comes back from her quarantine, I hope she gets her title shot. The last match of the night, the main event was Sami Zayn versus Jeff Hardy for the Intercontinental Championship. Both men were really banged up. You can see that Sami Zayn had his ribs taped and Jeff Hardy, he was holding on to his ribs as he was coming down from his entrance. This was a really good fight. I, it didn't give me title match feels, but I think both of these men did a really good job. We've seen Sami Zayn expose the turnbuckle in the beginning of the match. The camera pans back to it because they're like, how did the turnbuckle get exposed? So when they came back from commercial break, they show Sami untying the turnbuckle. But both these men exchange good moves. Sami hits a blue thunderbomb to get a near fall on Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy then attempts a swanton but misses. Sami Zayn then pushes him into the exposed turnbuckle to pick up the win. So we see Sami Zayn retain. After this match, I was like, what's the main event? And it turns out that this was the main event. It didn't feel like a main event at all. It felt like just a regular match. They didn't like advertise it as a main event. They didn't just give me main event vibes. I feel like they would have better matches. But Jeff Hardy has already reached his end and I feel like he hasn't accepted that he has. He just moves sluggish. He can't do half the things that he normally does. All he is doing is just hurting his body even more. He tried to do a whisper in the wind from the steel steps and then hits the barricade super hard. So this guy is going off a death-defying ladder match to then still sacrificing his body the next week. But that ends SmackDown. Now, SmackDown is really good. SmackDown has continued to be really good. I think this week they averaged about 2.2 million viewers because their storylines are so interesting in Roman Reigns and Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. Those two stories are what is making SmackDown right now. And I hope the draft doesn't mess up any of these storylines because I would be so upset if none of these storylines have a conclusion. So I want to mention that this episode is going to drop on Sunday. I usually do two episodes if there is a pay-per-view, but I will be going away for the week. So I don't know if I'm going to have a takeover review exactly on the same day or probably when I come back from my little vacation. I'll maybe record it on like a Wednesday and just give you my, my thoughts on it. Maybe it won't be like a super long episode. It'll just be my thoughts. Also, if you didn't notice, there was no Raw Underground this week and that's because of the COVID scare that they had down there. So no Raw Underground this week. I don't know if they're going to have 
Favreau on the ground next week, but we'll just have to wait and see. Now we've reached our conclusion. I just want to say thank you again to those who downloaded, those who subscribed, those who follow me on Twitter, and those who follow my podcast. If you are the part of the 200 plus people who downloaded my podcast, I just really, really want to say I appreciate all your support. And hopefully look forward to the next episode. I hope these are getting better and better as I go along. Like I said, if you want to message me and give me some pointers, you can message me on Twitter at Wrestling From, or you can message me on Facebook at Ray Colazzo. I'll also be live tweeting during TakeOver tomorrow. I think I should be able to watch it. I should be able to. But I want to say good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Thank you for listening. This has been Wrestling From the Crowd. My name is Ray Colazzo, and I'll catch you on the next episode.